What is up, guys? So happy to be back. And I mean, you guys probably don't know, but me and Jess haven't recorded in a couple of weeks. We've just been like, you know, uh, doing all kinds of other stuff. But uh, it just feels nice to be back here. We got some good stuff for you today talking about preparing to get out of the military. Holy crap. So got a lot of good info for you. Can't wait to get to it. Let's do this. How you guys like that new intro music, huh? Ah. It's good but, stuff. I know, right? I mean, sound like we're almost official now, trying to get up in there. But um, yeah, so as crazy as it may seem with uh, my awesome co-host, Jess, say what's up. What is up? She has separated before, even I though have. she's yes. back in at a million years, three different branches, whatever you want to call it. Um. I did record yeah, a couple of episodes about it. Yeah, I mean, she's she's separated before. She's just like, eh, I want to get back in and eventually go through all that crap again. Yeah. But um, yeah. I just recently separated. I just hit one year out of the military um, last month on August 17th. Um, and guys, preparing to get out, regardless of how much you want it, regardless if you're at retirement and uh, you already know you're getting that first year of money still when you get out, like... I don't care. I don't think it matters how long you've been in and how quote unquote prepared you feel. It is so anxiety filled, so nerve wracking, just so like, because even though it's like, you might have everything lined up, but then all of a sudden you're sitting there like, is this a good thing? Like everything just doesn't feel like it's a for sure thing anymore, no matter how prepared you are. And I want, is that pretty accurate description there, Jess? Yeah, it's, I mean, you could be as prepared as you want, but it's still a very scary situation, um, especially if you came in, like, right out of high school, you know, because this is the only job you've ever had, and now you got to get out and be, like, a real adult, and real adulting is hard. No, and it's funny you say that, because, like, you know, guys, you know, you heard my, my lovely other half over here, Destiny, she's about to retire. Um, she starts Skillbridge here in February. Um, but it's funny, like, you know, um, if you guys don't know, she is, she's older than me. I was in, uh, I was in seventh grade when she joined the military, just weird flex, numbers but for okay. her, right. But, um, you know, she, it's funny, like she's been in the military. She'll be, she'll retire after 22 years. And even though you have, you're like kids house, all this stuff, right. You're sitting there like, when you. It's a weird feeling when you get out of the military, whether it's retirement or separation at, at this, you know, later age, you're like, what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, cause, <laughs> cause now all of a sudden you're like, I got to be in the real freaking world now. What the hell am I going to do? Like, cause I mean, nothing you do in the military, 99% of the time translates to shit. <laughs> so you always well, have to <laughs> actually being able to sit through some really fucking long meetings translates to a lot of patience. It's kind of like sitting through a tattoo. Eh, but patience, the tattoo's more fun. Tolerance. Eh. Hurry up and wait. Yeah, like, but it, it's a, it's just crazy because you're still like, oh man, I I was a vehicle mechanic for you know 15 years in the military. And you're like, I'm gonna go be a mechanic at a auto shop, and they're like, okay, well, do you have your certifications? Yeah, you, you know what kind of this and that and the other, and you're all of a sudden you're just like, but I I fix cars in the military. I'm like, yeah. Uh, I'm I mean, a veteran. Yay. Right? It's hard. It is hard out here for a pimp, if you know what I'm saying. But, um, so what we do, what we're doing here is we have actually got some pretty damn good, uh, research and links, um, that we want to kind of go over and what, you know, this is like what the people quote unquote, the people, uh, say is the best way, the best things you should do. And then you have the people that do it that say, some of this is cool. Some of this, I mean, I don't think is a, a good thing or really matters. And then you have us who are like, this is what you really need to freaking think about. So, um, Jess, you separated in a different time than I did, you know? So talk about 
with whenever you went through taps that time to separate and then transitioning because you transitioned, I would say, in a time frame and an economy that was not like fucking today's because it's no. no. So I would I would assume not saying, you know, I would assume it was a little bit easier in the fact that it was it was just a different world then than it is now. So, yeah, it was a little bit different. Um, so when I transitioned, like my whole my one of my reasons for transitioning out was to go to school full time. Right? Let's, let's preface the transition. OK, we out say of the we, military. We have a very specific thing that we're talking about here out of the military. That is the only transitioning that I'm aware that I have done. Um, so when I, so I got out, I left active duty. Let me preface this correctly. I left active duty in 2014, early 2014. So I had planned on going to school. I was going to get out. I was going to go to school at the university of New Mexico full time. I was going to ride my GI bill out and go from there. So I wasn't planning on going straight into the workforce. Well, what I didn't know that I later learned the hard way was my GI Bill benefits, like my BAH and all that stuff that gets covered by the post 9-11 only gives you so much. So something that I tell people is if you're getting out and you're planning to go to school, you need to realize that your BAH is only going to cover the time that you're in school. So like if you're not taking summer classes, you're not getting that BAH because the VA is not paying your tuition. And if you're on top of that, Jess, what I don't think people also realize is like, you know, you might have gone into a class for maybe two weeks out of that month. Well, you're only getting prorated for two weeks of BAH. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> exactly. Like, and people are like, oh, well, I was in class for like two days. So I get the whole month. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. Um, the one thing that you can be guaranteed is a particular set BAH rate if you go to school online, which is what I ended up doing when I went back to work full time. So if you decide to just pursue college completely online, you will get like, I don't know what the exact rate is now. Um, but when I was going to school, it was about 850 bucks a month. It, it's still around the same from what I know. Cause what it is, it's just a national average of all the BAHs yeah, put yeah. into one. And that's for, that's what the online is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's what I did when I transitioned out. Um, as far as the job market is concerned, like I came in right out of high school, so I had never, I mean, I'd worked with like my family and stuff and family businesses, but I never had like a quote unquote real job. So I didn't really know how to write my resume. The military doesn't prepare you for it. Like they, they prepare you to be in the military. The military does not prepare you to get out of the military. I don't care what the people say in tap. Yes, it's gotten better, but the military is never going to prepare you to get out. So I didn't really know how to tailor my resume and do all those sorts of things. So I wasn't able to get just like a regular civilian job. I mean, I did after about a year, but when I first got out, I wasn't able to. Um, and when you're looking at your pay and benefits and stuff, when you're in the military, you have to remember that the only thing that gets taxed is your basic pay. Once you get out of the military, you're not getting the BAH and the BAS that's tax free. Your entire paycheck, 100% of it gets taxed. So you may look at a job on like a job posting, like let's say for instance, LinkedIn or USA jobs, and you hop on there and you're like, oh, well, according to my military, you know, LES, I'm making $50,000 a year. Oh, I just need to get a job that pays me $50,000 a year. That's not how it equates. What you need to pay attention to on your LES is your actual pay and benefits. And it's usually on like that last tab where your entitlements your year-to-date pay. So go back to 2022, if you're currently active duty, look at your actual pay benefits and see how much you were actually making with all those allowances. And then look at jobs that are going to pay you at that amount, because that was the mistake I made when I got out as an E5. I did not know any of that. One of the things that I always told my airmen or NCOs when they're getting out, right, is um, like you said, you know, got to look at the end of year date, right? But oh. Uh, Nowadays, when I when I went through TAP, um, the tran transition assistance program, um, they have a what's what equates like, hey, this is what you are. You're an E six. Um, this is where it, where you live. BAHBS wise, you know, and they'll tell you it'll calculate. Hey, if you want to keep your benefit, like if you want to keep your similar lifestyle with like healthcare and ben all this other crap, then it'll translate to like, you need to be making like 77, $78,000 a year. Right. Yeah. Um, and what I always tell 
uh, people. I was like, look, um, you're translating to probably need to make like 75,000 a year. So here's my rule of thumb when it comes to that, right? You want to try to get a job that at least matches a little bit of what you get, right? So let's say you're trying to, you get one 75,000 a year, add 10 grand to that. So ideally you would like to try to get a job at 85,000 a year. Sounds like a lot, right? But like she said, getting taxed, right? Everything goes down with taxes and social security and, and Medicare and all that crap, right? So then you bring it down. But what you also want to make sure is that you have a, a little buffer to put towards retirement in your new company. So, because if you get a $75,000 a year job to equate to paying rent, all that stuff, stuff to bring down to close to what you're actually bringing home, then you're going to have your company that's going to say, hey, we match up to, you know, 5%, 8% um, for your retirement. And then you start doing that, then that deducts more from your paycheck. So that's why I say what you get the rough amount that you're doing plus 10 grand, try to shoot for that, give you that buffer to, to maximize your contributions for your retirement without edging into what you need for your daily life survival and lifestyle. Yeah. And something, um, as we were kind of doing our research for this episode, guys, something that we noticed was, um, younger veterans between the age of 18 and 34 have a higher poverty rate than other age groups. And a lot of that comes from just not having the education on how to take care of your finances and how to take care of yourself once you get out. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it is astonishing with all the benefits, you know, and you figure, Hey, we're veterans. We should, you know, people want us. Well, I mean, to a degree. People, people also know what they're getting into when they hire us. So. Yeah, that that was the misconception I had just being young and dumb, right? I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I did, you know, seven and a half years in the military. Every company is going to want me. No, that's not the case. Because what mm -hmm. companies want is someone, yes, someone who has a general knowledge of how to do stuff, but they want people who are specialized in stuff, right? Um, and the military makes us more general people. Now, granted, some companies just want someone with a free thinking mind that can kind of get in and just do whatever the fuck needs to get done. But not every single company is going to be like that. And you really have to research that culture and understand who you're interviewing with and who you may possibly be working with. Exactly. And I think one of the bigger things of uh, why – so depending on what you bring to the table, what kind of company you're applying for, I would say one of the biggest issues with hiring us – you know, as we get out, we're, we're experienced in the military, but we're inexperienced in the civilian world. So that means we would most likely kind of be coming down on the, you know, the quote unquote leadership scale of when we join, right? So getting hired as an older person to a group that's probably a lot younger than us with no actual real authority. And all of a sudden we're listening to kids essentially that are older than us that have been there and they're in that authority. That's where clash leads, you know? And I think a lot of companies in some, you know, respects, they know that. So they don't want to deal with it. Essentially. That's my look on it. You know, people could probably say, Oh no, I, I, I didn't deal with that. Look, I'm glad you didn't deal with that. I'm just saying that the exception doesn't make the rule. And that's what I'm saying. I think that personally is why things kind of happen that way. I, I don't know if you agree with Jess, but I feel like that, that mindset, like it, it's like, um, what is it? Billy Madison sitting in the kid in, in school with all the young kids, you know, that's like us with our GI bill going back to school. So. Yeah. That's exactly what it was like when I went back to school. Like I was in there with, you know, 18 and 19 year olds and I'm like, I'm 25 and I've like deployed to Afghanistan and stuff and I've seen shit and I've been stationed overseas and you've like just left your mom's house. You know, it's a very different culture and it's a different lifestyle. And um, it can be very uh, difficult. I'm going to deal with my life. This is so hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a lot. It can be a big culture shock. Like, it's a culture shock joining the military, and it's a culture shock getting out of the military. Because the military indoctrinates us, and people don't realize it until they get ready to fucking leave. That they're like, oh, I've been living in this whole alternate reality for, you know, however many years. Um, so it's important to keep that into perspective. But... 
Oh my god, I'm just gonna sit here and sip on my Starbucks and look at my iPhone and I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life, you know, but I think I'm just gonna live at home for a while and be an Instagram influencer. You know what? You stay off of my pumpkin spice lattes, okay? I'm gonna be a basic bitch until I die. You are a basic bitch, but I love you. I know. I love you too. How you like that voice changer, guys? <laughs> uh, okay, so, like Jess was saying about poverty, and it's, and it's really unfortunate, you know, 18 to 34 uh, veterans have a high poverty rate, and what we see most of all, and which is what me and Jess are trying to prepare you guys for, is like, know the difference in what you're actually taking home versus what you're getting paid um, is because when you look at these stats, so assessing po uh, poverty in veterans, um, this was a, a this was a study done in 2017 that 50 more than 50 percent of their income of those poverty you know stricken veterans over 50 percent of just their income goes to just paying their rent and when you guys think about that, I'm making a thousand dollars a month. That's nothing. I'm just pulling out a thousand dollars a month, and I got to pay five hundred of that just to live, not to include my water, gas, uh, electricity, groceries, car payment if I have one, car insurance if I have one. You know, like you got, and then cell phone bill, internet, whatever. You, you pile that up, man. All of a sudden, you're you're negative before the month's even over. So it, it's just crazy, and I don't think that even when I went through TAP three times, I don't think I ever heard anything actually tell you to prepare for the fact like, hey, you guys need to take this into account, right? So you guys know you get this pay, but then you're not taking into account your BAH, your BAS, your, you know, any of these entitlements that we get when it comes like, hey, you have free healthcare. We don't have free healthcare, guys. We fucking pay for it. It's just for the cheap, right? So Putting and all that we into get that. what we pay for. <laughs> yeah, which is shit, healthcare. So yeah. it, it, it's one of those things that I think is never hit on enough. Like, hey, this is what you guys have to take into account. When you're looking at what you want to do to the pay to where you're living. So I don't think those three are put together. Okay, I'm gonna go back home to New York. Holy shit, guys. New York the is one of the- cost of living is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the cost of living that's highest in the nation is actually Hawaii. Yeah. So, you know, you have California, which we know is expensive and is only getting worse. And then you have New York, which is really expensive. Pretty much any of, a lot of those northern states and, you know, not to get political, but blue states, it's expensive to live there. Okay. But thinking like, oh, I only need to make $76,000 to get what I'm doing now. And I'm going back home to Los Angeles. <laughs> Guys, you you're going to be homeless by the end of the month. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, it's, it, I don't think those are put together enough. Hey, this is what you were pulling in, but where you're going, the cost of living is this. So this is what you need to try to do. I think that military needs to do better about that, preparing these, uh, whether it's retirees or just NCOs and airmen that are getting out, they need to better prepare us for the transition to where we're going to live versus just to, cover their asses because it's congressionally mandated. So I don't know how you feel about that, Jess, but that's me. Uh, so actually, they did discuss that when I went through TAP in January. So we did that whole calculator thing of, hey, this is what you're making now based on what you need to make. And they did talk about the cost of living stuff. So um, I remember our instructor gave us like a website. Um, I don't have it on me right now, but she gave us a website to look up cost of living for the places that we were planning on living and working and stuff. And you can see like, it breaks it down, like how much an average, you know, gallon of milk cost, how much average rent is. And like, when I was planning on getting out, when I was looking at different places, I was like, you know, what is Fort Worth, you know, versus let's say Denver, Colorado, what's the cost of living. Right. And you can see those differences, right. It's a big difference. It just depends on where you go. But like, if you're planning to retire in like some kind of small town or something, it might not be so bad. But you got to think about the population, what's available, you know, what kind of companies are there. Because if you have a lot of tech companies and stuff, it's probably going to be more expensive to fucking live there. Um, and then you have California. Or like, you know, there's there's people who want to retire in Alaska. And I think that's great. Alaska's gorgeous from the pictures I've seen. But Alaska's really fucking expensive. So if you plan on, you know, being a hunter and just living off land or whatever, but you got to go get groceries still, 
like the shit's going to be fucking expensive and you might not be able to afford to live that way um whether you retire or not so it's just stuff that you have to keep in mind um and even you know regardless of when you decide to to separate there's no right or wrong time to separate it's just whatever's going to work for your situation like i'm staying in for the long haul and rusty decided to separate at 13 years of active duty that was the right time for him for me i'm single and i can keep going with my career and i don't have a family that i have to contend with rusty had other obligations so it makes sense that he would decide to separate be close to his family and he was lucky to be in a state like texas where you get a lot more of those veterans benefits and he grew up there you know so you have to think about those things because a lot of people retire to texas especially san antonio it's military city um i love texas it'll always have a place in my heart um but just think about those things before you just decide on where you're going to retire and military city guys honestly it's a little overrated um yep can relate was stationed there for three years yeah like san antonio rich culture cool fun place sometimes but when you call it military city right you would think that they do anything and everything and take care of veterans military members guys i know too many people that go there and say that they can't find a job that the va there is just failing on an exponential level so it's it's good and it's not i wouldn't sit there and say i'll move into military city so i'll be fine i honestly it's the smaller town areas that have they could have like so there's a va clinic over here in waco i'm in fort worth so there's a big fort worth clinic here it's not bad but it's like your normal big va clinics it's a long way and there's just a lot of crap right because there's a shit ton of veterans going there the waco clinic is a hidden gem everything gets done expeditiously and correctly and like really in really good manner because it's just not that much going on over there waco's a nice city but it's it's not fort worth it's not dallas it's not houston austin whatever you want to call it so i would be better pressed on looking at that if you're wanting a good va which is hard to come by but that's what you guys have to take into account going to a big city that says military city doesn't mean that you're going to get taken care of as a military member yeah, it's more of them just exploiting the fact that they have, like, 15 fucking bases in one city, and the traffic is absolute garbage. So. And military drive is ghetto as shit. Oh, my God, yeah. That is, but yeah. Let's get back on track here. So, one of the things that we found on military.com, okay, it breaks you down into, like, from 18 months out all the way down to less than three months from separation, right? And it kind of goes through some things to think about. So, um, 18 to 12 months from separation, it says begin a GI bill and tuition assistance benefits, uh, or become one, which, yeah, you want to know what your GI benefits, uh, GI bill benefits entail. You want to know how tuition assistance is going to work. You want to make sure that the school you're going to go to is able to be covered by that and vice versa, what you want to do. You guys really have to look into that. Like Jess said, like you have to look into what you want to do in school. What kind of degree you're looking at, what school you want to go to, and where you're going to be living, because it it all correlates into whether or not you get some good BAH if you're going to go in in person or if you go online, or you need to make sure that the GI Bill even covers it. Guys, not every school is covered by GI Bill or tuition assistance. I found out the hard way, so you guys have to make sure that you, you know and that your school is covered. Yeah, um, so to, to kind of add on to that. Um, if your school is a yellow ribbon school and you're going to school through the GI bill, um, they should be meeting that tuition requirement. So essentially the GI bill will pay a certain amount up to whatever your tuition is. And then if you can't cover your entire tuition with your, this is post 9-11 GI bill, by the way, if you can't cover your tuition, the school will cover the rest. If I understand it correctly, because I went to a yellow ribbon school and I did not pay a single cent out of pocket. The only thing I ever paid for was my Montgomery GI Bill when I initially enlisted, and that was $1,200. And now I have a master's degree. So three degrees, $1,200. And I don't have any fucking student loans. So don't let somebody talk you into student loan because you think that your GI Bill is not going to cover it. Just go to a yellow ribbon school. I promise it'll make your life a lot easier. Yeah, and 
what I don't think enough military members and veterans, because this, this applies to both, um, don't realize. Now, granted, if you're going for a, a graduate degree, master's or doctor's, this does not apply. But going for an associate's, or if you're going for a bachelor's, guys, you can make money going to school. Let me tell you how real quick, okay? We'll cover this again when we get to like real in-depth education type episode. But what I feel like you guys need to know is that when you're going for an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, if you're active duty, reserves, guard, veteran, it does not matter. If you're going for an associate's or a bachelor's, when you go, when you sign up for your school and you say, hey, I have tuition assistance from uh, active duty or I have a GI bill or whatever, um, make sure they send you to the financial aid office. Now, this doesn't mean you're getting a loan or anything, guys. Just make sure they send you the financial aid office so you can apply for what's called FAFSA or a Pell Grant, okay? Grant means free money. You don't pay it back. Now, here's how you do it. Once they go through and they get either all your info, the initially getting signed up is the biggest pain in the ass. It takes forever. But every year after that, it's just re-verification, renewal, and it's simple after that. So once you guys get in there, it's, they go, they look at your tax returns, they look at your household income and, and it all takes into effect. And then you, then that's what determines what you get given as a grant money-wise. That money is sent directly to the school. The school applies that to your current courses and future courses until it runs out. Now, once that is all done and they say, hey, you're covered up until, you know, uh, six courses from now. Well, when you go, when you use your, do your GI Bill, you're saying, hey, I need to request a TA for these courses that were already, quote unquote, paid for by the grant. GI Bill pays it out. And then you contact the financial aid office. You're like, hey, I have an overpay on these courses. I would like a refund. And they refund that cash back into your pocket. Okay. I did that when I was active duty. My classes were $1,000 a piece. I would make upwards of four or five thousand dollars a year extra, guys. Come on, that's free fucking money that you get back in your pocket. So, guys, take advantage of that. I don't care what you're doing. Take advantage of that. Yeah, I definitely took advantage of that when I was using my GI Bill, um, and it helped pay credit cards <laughs> when I was broke as shit. Um, so, kind of delving into a different topic, kind of getting off the education piece. Um, so one of the things that I do want to talk about, because I obviously have direct experience in it, is the Garden Reserve. So if you guys are planning to separate and you're just like, hey, this active duty lifestyle isn't for me, but I want to continue serving, um, I will always plug the Garden Reserve because I feel like it's important, obviously, for the state and the federal mission. Um, Guard is for the state. Reserve is federal. So if you're looking to do it part time. Talk to your in-service recruiter before you get ready to separate because it's a lot easier to transition into the Guard or Reserve just right after you leave active duty as opposed to like getting out and trying to come back in, um, which I kind of talked about on my prior service episode that I recorded not too long ago. Um, but that was more geared toward active duty. However, if you are thinking that you want to do it part-time before you get ready to separate, talk to your in-service recruiter. There's usually one at every installation. If not... Um, your MPF or actually your career advisor, I guess they call them development advisors now, um, should have their contact info. So get in touch with them and see if it's something that you want to do because you can easily do Palace Front, which is the last, during the last six months of your service, um, you can work on enlisting into the reserves or the guard. And then the day after your active duty date of separation, you would just enlist into the guard or reserves and you don't have a break in service, which is really nice because then you can just continue on. And if you want to do your 20, you can do your 20. You're just going to get your retirement a little bit later, right? At like age 60 or, um, 60 you know, or 65. But I thought, yeah, did I, I swear it was palace chase. You did that palace front. It was different. No. So palace chase is where you do ha about half of your enlistment. And then you separate. So that's what I did. But for other people who are looking at just straight up separating, but they don't want to do the early out with the palace chase, then you can do the palace front. Now, if you do want to separate early and you're halfway through your current enlistment contract or your active duty service commitment, um, I'm sorry, no, it, it would be your contract. 
if you've met your active duty service commitment, like say if you just PCS, then you can apply for Palace Chase and then your career field manager can be the judge of, hey, if they want to release you or not. Palace Front, you don't have to worry about any of that. If you're already on track to separate because at 180 days, they're already projecting you for separation anyway. Once you're projected to separate, then, I mean, your career field manager really doesn't have any say at that point. It's just the reserves or the guard gaining you into a manpower billet. Um, so that's an option for you guys. And just a couple of other things on the guard and reserve. Um, some units will actually pay your travel expenses. I know the unit in Albuquerque that I was in, the guard unit, they did um, up to a point. So like for your annual training and shit like that, like say your unit's five hours away, right? And you have to travel in for drill every month. If you go to do your annual training and you want to knock it all out in two weeks, they're going to pay you to drive up there and then they're going to pay you to drive home and then they're going to pay for your lodging while you're there. Oh, and on top of that, you're going to get your BAH and you're going to get your BAS because you're on active duty orders. Title 32, because it's state, if your guard reserves its title 10, but that's the way it's going to work for you. Um, and I know for sure that if we had out of towners in our unit, we would put them in hotels that were contracted out within the local area. Um, so if they were traveling from out of town, then they would come in, stay in a hotel, usually like a holiday inn or like a courtyard inn or whatever. Um, and they would say it'd be someplace, or they would stay on base if they had availability. But they're going to take care of you in that regard, too. And you still get your TRICARE. You do get TA while you're in the guard that you can use. It's the exact same as active duty, the $4,500 a year. So there's a lot of benefits to continuing that part-time service if it's something that you want to do and it doesn't conflict with your goals on the civilian side. I know we kind of got way left on that one. But remember what I told you about education, in-service recruiter, um, that's how you go part-time, uh, blue, full-time, you. But um, one thing that I would always say when it comes to school, guys, um, get as much done while you're active duty. Don't wait till you get out. Honestly, guys, get as much done as you can. Um, but moving on. So when you get to your 12 months of separation, you have to do what's called transitions assistance uh, program. Now, that's mandated by Congress every military member has to go through it when they're separating or retiring or whatnot. And you do that within, uh, I think you can actually do it within two years now, but you want to probably do it within the, that last year. So it's fresh and you kind of have everything uh, working for you. Right. But when it comes to that, um, they're supposed to go over, you know, trying to build an individual, what's called an individual transition plan. I don't really care for it. I don't think it really does much, but that's me. Um, but what you really want to make sure that you're trying to figure out is based off of what you did in the military, if you liked it or if you went to school and you're trying to do something else, you need to try to figure out how you can use that to your advantage to get the job that you want, right? Now, that goes to translating into a resume, which, as we said, is not easy because we can't sit there and just put all the military jargon that we got beaten into our head for the past thousand years. We can't talk the way we do. We can't put all these acronyms and stuff that abbreviate for gear and all this other shit. You know, civilians, unless they're veterans, which, you know, based on the company you go to, you can pretty much rely on that because when I, with me looking at working at Lockheed Martin, a lot of them are veterans, but can't rely on that. Translating that to a to a civilian uh, resume is not easy, guys. So honestly, unless you have somebody that's very versed in it, like I'm pretty good at it now because I've helped a lot of people do it. But when I did it, I paid a, I paid a service to do it. it. To be honest, guys, like I forking up that little bit, like I even paid them enough to both write, write my resume for me, translating everything. And they did my LinkedIn for me to make it, you know, look professionals because I was using LinkedIn uh, premium to try to get my profile out there and apply for jobs. So that's honestly the, the best way to do it. I don't trust anybody up there that are doing it because they're going to try to teach you how to write a federal resume, which you cannot use a federal resume for a civilian job resume. It, I mean, your federal job resume, guys, no shit is like 10 pages. You, you don't want to go more than two when you're applying for a regular job. but I would just pay for a service, but you really need to start getting that figured out within like as close to a year out, not within the last three months. Cause 
guys, you should have already been applying for jobs. Hopefully have something lined up and interview with when you get to the last three months. You need to start doing this shit a year out at the very least. I mean, cause it's not easy. I applied for 45 jobs the first time I was getting out. Well, the, so not this last time I did, but the time before that, whenever I was going to get out while I was still in Lake and Heath, then, you know, divorce hit. I applied for 45 jobs, guys. I got three interviews. Two of them was actually um, AGR interviews and only one civilian interview. But all the other jobs, I heard nothing. It, and I was applying for them for upwards of a, uh, six to eight months out. Guys, you got to, you can't rely on the fact that, oh, well, that, that's posted. They're going to need somebody. You can't wait. You can't wait till the last second. Because if you wait till the last second, odds are you're going to have no income for upwards of, you know, worst case scenario, like, I don't know, for years or, but I'm just saying like, at least for six months, because it's, these jobs don't go through quickly. So you really need to get your resume done and applying for stuff at least a year out. Is that kind of how you felt like that, Jess? Yeah, um, it does take time. Like sometimes you'll get lucky and you'll get somebody who will hit you back real quick or you'll get like these headhunters who will hit you up about these jobs. But yeah, there's been plenty of times where I've applied for stuff and never heard anything back or I've applied for it and then it closed a week later because they already had somebody else that they were going to hire internally. Um, so you just never know. And it's all about just continuing to apply, continuing to apply. Um, that's something that they harped on us and tap, but I mean, I, it's just keeping it real, right? It's, it's the way that civilians do this stuff anyway, right? Like they're constantly applying for jobs. You get on any of these Instagram pages of like these career influencers are like, keep applying, keep applying, like make applying for jobs, your full-time job. And it's like, well, that's fucking stupid because I should have a job, right? I'm but, not getting paid for jobs. <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting paid to look for jobs. Right. But you have to keep applying. You have to keep applying because at some point something's going to click with somebody and they're gonna be like, Oh, this person looks pretty marketable. And the more you apply, the better you get at it. The better you get at updating your resume, the better you get at looking for those keywords and doing those sorts of things. So it's not a bad thing when you start applying for a lot of jobs because I've had to do it. Rusty's had to do it, right? Like, obviously, I'm, I don't have to worry about it for a little while longer. But when I do get out, I already know, like, hey, this is what I'm going to have to do. Um, and that's a lot of that I can thank Rusty for because he helped me out a ton um, when I was planning to get out, like sending me jobs and referrals, like getting to know the people in the company. If you have a friend who works for the company, hey, can you throw in a referral for me? Hey, can you, you know, maybe tell me about the company? Give me like the real talk, the real spiel, you know. Um, so the reason she's my best jobs. friend, guys. She's using me for Lockheed Martin. It's not. It's absolutely not that. <laughs> it's not. It's because you send me cool tattoo pictures. That's really what it is. Yeah, I'm a bad influence. And dog videos. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like I said, Preparing your resume upwards of a year, maybe even like, you know, just like I would say within probably 14 to 12 months, getting that resume really going and make sure you have it good. Because see here on military.com, it says between seven and 10 months, start drafting your resume. I don't agree with that one bit. You guys need to get it done before that. In seven to 10 months, you should already be applying for jobs. Like, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, that that right there, I think, is a grave, like not a good time frame. Do not start drafting your resume within the last seven to ten months of your uh, of your duty. Do not do that. Um, they do have something on here, military.com skills translator. Sometimes that can help. Sometimes uh, I, I wouldn't rely on that. I would say, you know, give it a shot. Maybe it'll help. But I just. I don't know. It's hit or miss. I, I never had much luck with it. I don't know about you, Jess. I never had much luck with a military skills translator. You put in. Yeah, no. Yeah. Not even mm -hmm. the VMET. I mean, the VMET is fine because it summarizes your entire career, which they'll go over the VMET with you guys when you go through TAP. Um, but. Is that only an Air Force thing? No, it's it's a DOD wide. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's DOD wide. Um, yeah, like the VMET is good because it like tells you where you were, kind of tells you what you did. But I promise you the job description that they list on that VMET is not going to be what you did when you were in the military. It is a very basic overview of like, here's what the Air Force wants the recruiter to tell you that you're supposed to be doing, but it's absolutely not what you did. So it's important to keep all those performance reports or NCOERs, whatever it is you guys have. Um, make sure you look through them every once in a while and, and try to like rack your brain on, okay, what did I do? Because I mean, in the Air Force, we're transitioning from a bullet style, quote unquote, to a narrative style enlisted performance brief, right? 
So like those old style EPRs that we used to write, it's, it's like fucking jargon, right? It's jargon heavy. Um, so make sure you can understand what those old EPRs are saying, because sometimes you'll have a skill on some of those old EPRs that you can use on a resume that maybe you haven't used that skill in a while, but you still remember how to do it. Make sure you throw it on there because that might be one of those key words or something that they're looking for in that job description that you guys can use to your advantage. Yeah, as I look further through this, guys, on military.com, four to six months start applying for jobs? No, uh, I just I don't agree with that. I don't know. I don't know how it was, you know, quote unquote, back in the day. But now I'm telling you guys, it it takes forever to hear back on a job, if at all. I mean, honestly, I of those 45 jobs that I applied for, I think I only heard back saying no longer consideration or thanks for your consideration or whatever. Like, I think out of those 45 jobs, I only heard from, I heard from less than 10. I'm telling you right now, I heard back on less than 10. For all I know, my resume is still sitting out there in the applied section and maybe they'll get to it. But guys, I'm telling you, it, it takes so fucking long. I would not do what this thing, start applying for jobs in four to six months. Uh, it's just, that's just not enough time. Uh, learn to dress for your civilian career. Eh, that's very, very like situational guys. I mean, if you plan on being in that professional, like office setting, you know, suits and ties and all that shit, then yeah, you might need to change up your wardrobe a little bit. But honestly, I mean, with me, I, only thing my boss requires is just a collared shirt. I, I wear jeans. I don't have, like, I, I just wear like my Altimas or whatever type of, you know, sh you know, just comfortable shoes. I'll wear a hat if I want to every day. But when it comes to that collar shirt, like I, it, it doesn't have like a style, you know, specifically, you know, something like real dressy. No, I just wear a collar shirt and I'm comfortable. I don't tuck it in or nothing like that. I have tattoos on my hands and my fingers. Like I, guys, it's just, it really just depends on what you're trying to do. So if you can, if you have a, a direction and you know, kind of what setting you're going to be in, then figure out how to dress for that. But I wouldn't go full. I need to be in suit and tie all kind of, no. Um, that, that, I think that's a little bit more or less common nowadays, especially when it comes to us veterans. Yeah. But, uh, and when I worked as a contractor for a very short amount of time before I came back on active duty, like, yeah, we had to dress in business casual, right? But I never wore like a dress or skirts or anything like that. It was just like nice pants and a nice shirt and nice shoes. So you guys don't have to go overboard with your wardrobe. Don't worry about that. Dressed in a dress is a very rare thing, guys. I'm telling you right now. Very rare. It's like <laughs> once in like every five blue moons or some shit. Yeah. And then, of course, when you have to wear mess dress because you're required. <laughs> actually, we can wear pants and no, mess dress actually, now. You can. You can. I remember yeah. that. But you but wear, I but you wear a dress. Yeah I, yeah. I wear the skirt just because it's like the only time I ever will. Yeah. And I mean, it looks, it looks still really like nice and professional. It's not like girly, it girly kind of stuff, you know, but it's nice. It is nice. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. So one of the things here says it's seven to 10 months, you know, budget and prepare to pay for health coverage, you know, cause you're going to have to pay for, um, health insurance for, okay. So if you're retiring, you'll have VA for you and your family. Okay. If you're separating, it's VA for you, which means you'll have to pay for health care for your family. So. It's, it's real important to distinguish that, guys, you know, because I, I have VA healthcare, obviously, but I have to pay for and, like, you know, Lockheed Martin obviously offers health insurance. So I pay for health insurance for my kids. Right. So you guys got to make sure you understand that when it gets out, it's not going to be like VA for, you know, for everybody. Right. But um, that right there is a little tricky because depending on the company or depending on if you're going to do third party like Blue Cross, whatever like that, it. It's expensive, guys. I'm just letting you know right now. It's expensive. So um, hopefully you get into a company that offers it that's a lot cheaper. But um, what I'm not seeing really in here and what I'm really, really going to like, like beat into y'all's little brains is your entire career. Okay. I don't care if it's two years, four years, six, eight, 25. I don't care what it is, guys. When you start, you have to understand that doesn't matter how long it is, the military will have an end date for you, period. You're saying, oh, man, I'm going to do 20 years, probably 25, you know, so I ain't got to worry, but I don't have to worry about nothing. They're like, no, that shit comes so quick, bro. 
Like, you guys have to understand that shit will blink and all of a sudden you're like, fuck, what did I do? But you guys have to understand the military will have an end date. You need to start literally saving and preparing for when that end date comes. Because what you might think might be your end date will probably not be. I came in at first saying, I'm going to do my six years and get out. I already hate this shit. And here I am re-enlisting and I'm saying, I'm going to do 10. I'm going to transfer my GI Bill between my kids and then I'll probably call it quits. Well, here I go again. And uh, I'm going to get out at 12. And then, you know, life happens. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to stay in. I'm going to do my 20. Guys, I got out a year fucking later. <laughs> Come on. Like, your end date in your head, 99% of the time is not going to be the end date. Because then, what you have to realize, 20 years is a long fucking time that'll come quick. But what comes even quicker is if you get injured and you get medboard and get forced out when you did not want to. Or... You have the great, you know, Hunger Games of 2014 where everybody's getting forced out because, you know, budget cuts. Guys, you have to prepare for that end date like it's tomorrow. You need to start saving. You need to start, you, you guys need a budget right off the bat. I know it's not easy. I know it's, you know, you know, people be like, ah, I'm good. I don't, what I'm telling you guys, you guys have to start budgeting and saving like you're going to get out tomorrow. That's because, a really good point that you yeah. bring that up because I'm, I'm a fucking E7 and I have a budget. Like, I never used to have to really budget. And then I got married and divorced. And so welcome to my life. But I have a budget and I know how much I can spend each month. And I've been able to save more money, right? Granted, I'm having to rebuild a lot of shit because I got divorced. But I know I have so many years left in the military until I'm eligible for retirement. And I have a plan to save every single month and every single year. And I'm still putting money into my IRA and I'm putting money into my TSP. So yes, it is harder when you don't make as much money, right? Based on your pay grade. But every time that you increase in a pay grade or whatever happens, you get a pay raise, just put a little bit more aside because it really will make a huge difference when that end date does come. Yeah, guys. Um, it, <sighs> And on top of that, what I'll say, and, and Jess can attest to this, you're going for the 20 years trying to get your military retirement. Guys, unless you're single with like no debt and no kids and you have, just have no obligations but you, yourself, military retirement and disability, especially if you're enlisted, is not going to cut it. Period. You're always going to have to get into another career. Or you also, on top of your actual military retirement, you need to start, what Jess said, start putting in, you know, third-party retirement, IRAs, investments, and stuff like that. I have, I have multiple IRAs on the side. I have my disability, which is cool, but then I also have my Lockheed retirement. Like, guys, I'm, <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm good. I don't want to feel like I, I have to work until the day I actually die. So, you guys got to understand, unless you're retiring, you know, big money on the officer side, you're going to have to get another job or you're going to have to save more additionally from what you're going to get retirement. So that's what you really need to focus on is just when that time comes. Now, with us transitioning, right, out of the military, let me specify, with us transitioning, one of the big things that we intend to have a problem with is just going into an environment where there's no veterans and we're, we're built different guys. We're different. We are desensitized. We have the darkest fucking sense of humor. We lived our lives for years without HR breathing down our fucking neck, right? Like you guys have to realize we can't talk the way we do. We can't behave the way we do. We can't, <laughs> We can't touch each other like we usually do, like, you know, giving, you throwing shit at each other or like smacking, you know, your buddy on the ass like, hey, man, good game. We cannot fucking do that, guys. I mean, we're, we're, we're going the right way for a very quick ending of a new career. Yeah, you also really can't do that in the military anymore because now it's <laughs> sexual harassment. So just throwing that to out it, there. To, to anybody. Okay? Yeah, to anybody. I'm like, yeah. 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 Don't rape people, please. <laughs> Trust me, the military will teach you that plenty. I'm not desensitizing that. Rape is a horrible thing. Um, <laughs> so, post-9-11 veterans, 
uh, what we what we tend to come back as is like pre nine eleven, uh, military members was about fifty eight percent of them were deployed. Post nine eleven, obviously went up with the war. GWAP seventy seven percent, right? Before 9-11, 31% were in the combat zone after 58%. 25% had emotional trauma before, 47% after. Guys, all of us that are post-9-11, we are coming out way different than before. This is, I'm talking like pre-9-11, post-Korean war and stuff like that, in that low where we had stuff going on, but we were not like at war. Does that make sense? Am I saying that right, Jess? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, you know, we had stuff going on. Obviously, we had, like, the Gulf and stuff like that. But we're talking, like, from Korean War, Vietnam War, obviously World War II is, you know, a different beast on its own. But we're talking about from times of war, like with Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and any other crap, times of war to before that in the in the small part where we weren't really, you know, doing shit, you know, that at that scale. We're just, we're just different, okay? So Peacetime military. Yeah. So... What a lot of uh, the studies have shown is that 68% of veterans say that in the first few years after leaving the military, they felt proud of their military service, right? So, you know, that's that's not necessarily a, a bad thing or whatever like that, but it, it just shows you into how you are as a person getting out, right? Now, 91% uh, yeah, so nine in ten veterans, ninety-one percent say that their training they received when they first entered the military prepared them somewhat well for the military life, but only fifty-two percent of them say the military prepared them for the transition to the civilian life. So that just shows you, like, I mean, the military is concerned about one thing: the military. We are a body. We are a number on a spreadsheet. We go down. Guess what? Another number comes in. That's not saying people don't quote unquote care about us, but when it's a bottom line, military wins wars, keeps us strong. That's the main goal. So they're going to prepare, prepare us to win wars, keep us strong. When you get out, thank you, but you're, you're not winning wars anymore. You're not keeping us strong anymore because you're no longer in the military. So it's like not surprising to see that, but it's also like Jesus, like, we give so much, so much time. It doesn't matter if it's only four years. We give a shit ton in those four years, and they just kind of throw us out. They have what they, quote, unquote, have to do, because if they don't, then they get in trouble. But, I mean, when we're out, we're out. You know, like, it, it, it's kind of, it sucks to say that, but that's, that's what it is, you know? So, and then coming down to here, right, uh, about half of post-9-11 veterans say readjusting the civilian life was difficult. Now that kind of coincides when you look at like how many were deployed, how many were in a combat zone uh, pre to post, right? Because think about that shit, you know, going from, yeah, some of us were deployed, not much were going on, you know, um, but we come back and yeah, it sucks. We're out, you know, and it just, it is what it is. Going to over three quarters of us going to getting deployed in a time of war, some of us still to places like, ah, whatever. The rest of us to places that, yeah, shit happens. Bombs, mortars, seek shelter, firefights. I never saw a firefight, but I was, you know, in Bagram. And yeah, we had seek shelter, mortars, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, not to compare myself to, you know, those people that were outside of the wire, but still. It's, it's crazy shit when you think about it. And then you have 47% of those saying it was very difficult to just readjust, you know? So in my view of things, when it looks at how, how hard it is for us to readjust, especially with the uptick on deployments and combats uh, saw by post 9-11 veterans, I mean, you get why we have 22 a day at this point, you know? We, we feel like we lose ourselves. We feel like we lose the best thing about us, the only thing about us. Like, 13 years, that was all I fucking knew. That was my life. And then it's gone. I miss it, sure. I'm happy outside of it. I landed very fortunate. I'm, I'm one of those, you know, that was really fortunate. But, I mean, when you look at these numbers, it's sad to say that, you know, almost half of us 
just just cannot do it. And then those end up being those poverty impoverished uh, veterans. Those end up being the ones who, you know, leave us too early. Those ones that end up probably just going back in because they don't know what to fucking do. So when it comes to those things, like you guys have to realize um, the preparation, like I said, you need to start preparing literally from day one to that end date because it will come. Sooner or later, that end date comes and you, God, hope you're ready, you know, Get, have your education done, have money set aside, have a plan, know kind of what, where you want to live, what you want to do, you know, and can't ever really plan on, I want to have, you know, married with this many kids, you know, that life just happens, right? But you guys got to understand that, that that comes so quick and you have to be ready. Now, one thing that everybody needs to know, and this will be in the bio description, right, uh, Jessica? Yeah. The Each state has its own benefits, like additional side benefits or whatever when it comes to veterans, right? Obviously, Texas, I know a lot of my Texas benefits. But every state is different. So what I want you guys to understand is that if I talk about Texas benefits, that's not the way it is nationwide. You guys have to go check your individual state benefits. This is also how people kind of decide where they want to retire to or get out to because each state has different benefits, right? I mean, yep. Um, so let me go over here. I'm just going to obviously I'm going to talk about some Texas benefits because, you know, Texas is the greatest country on earth. But uh, da, 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 okay. Uh, wow, I probably should have tested this. The fucking thing isn't working. Uh, you know what? Let me just go to education. So when it comes to Texas, uh, Texas Veterans Commission, right? We have what's called the Hazelwood Act. Some of these states, a lot of the states have a Hazelwood Act, but not everyone has it, right? So the Hazelwood Act, um, is for uh, qualified veterans, spouses, and dependents, right? So my kids could get this, right? Um, it's for 150 hours paid by the state of tuition. Guys, that's that's another bachelor's degree if you really want to do it, right? However, this does not include living expenses, books, and, and supply fees. You know, potato, potato at that point, right? But also, is is very specific conditions when it comes to the Hazelwood Act. You have to have enlisted from Texas, okay? But it's, like I said, the Hazelwood Act is in other states. So don't look at that, ah, oh, crap, I don't got it. But you just have to check your state, right? So employment, let's see here. Yeah, you have your there's an entire employment veteran services um, with the Texas Veteran Commission. You um, each one is separated into different sections of Texas, so you have a different uh, way to do it. They'll help you. They'll they'll literally help you from start to finish getting your veterans preference, getting your um, any benefits, and getting the getting you transferred over for licenses. You know that maybe you can uh, apply for because of your job, and it it really is amazing what it can do now. Certain other things that uh, I'll touch on just because, you know, it's one of those things. Um, given that given that I enlisted in Texas and um, I'm 100% VA, I don't pay property taxes. Tell you what, guys, that's a big deal. That's a big saving. That's like five to $800 saving a month with no, with no property taxes, right? But 100% VA. So... Now, when it comes to other small things, right? Like I don't have to pay for car registration, okay? I don't have to, like I get free veterans license plates, you know? I don't have to pay for hunting or fishing licenses. Get it for free every year because I'm 100%. I'm talking specifically to that. There's a list of things for each state, okay? So the link will be in the bio and we will make sure that it's working, uh, you know, before we post that. But um, that is going to be your biggest resource, honestly, is what your state offers for veterans and benefits wherever you're planning to live. So, make sure you have all that information. Uh, Jess, what do you got? Um, I was just reading through, you know, the Florida state benefits. Um, and it says Florida is the most 
sought after state for military veterans. So I don't know where Whatever. Texas is going to land. I'm just saying it's in the benefits guide. Anyway, Florida also does some basic property tax exemptions and additional property tax exemptions, um, which can also be found on the same site. So when you guys go to this site, I will pop it in uh, the description for the episode. When you go in, you can select whatever state you want. Um, it'll take you to a particular web page. And you can click on whatever benefits you want to look at. Um, Florida does a, a really nice put together PDF. You can just kind of do a control find and go through there. Um, but I've heard a lot of good things about the veterans benefits. So I'm looking forward to getting back to Florida uh, and checking out all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely look into that stuff, guys. Make sure that the state you want to live in is going to be able to take care of veterans. Um, I know obviously living in New Mexico for a long time. They, uh, you know, they have their DV plates and, um, you know, you get a few exemptions depending on your military service uh, for the state of New Mexico. Um, but yeah, the the big takeaway from this entire conversation is for you guys to do your research, have a plan, make sure you know what it is that you want to do when you get out, at least have some kind of idea. You may not have it all written out, figured out perfect because your plan is going to change. You can have everything mapped out perfectly, but it's going to change. Um, but just make sure you have a good idea of what it is that you want to do. So you're not going into it blind. And just remember that everybody has to transition out. Everyone has found some way of being successful. It doesn't mean you're going to be homeless, no matter what some old crusty senior NCO or some old crusty officer tries to tell you, you can be successful. You just need to be prepared. And I would honestly foot stomp that forever because you can absolutely do it. It happens all the time. Let me tell you here something. You don't retire from the military. You are going to end up homeless in a ditch in a van that doesn't run. You have to stay in, son, because the military needs you, and Uncle Sam's going to get every dime he wants. Yeah, That's Uncle basically Sam, how it's going to sound. Yeah, Uncle Sam's going to get his dime. But, hey, if you signed a four- or six-year contract, Uncle Sam's going to get his contract, and then you're free to go. It's not for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, World War Three happens and you stop lost. <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But um, like she said, like I'm going to say a hundred times, guys, start your military career with the best intentions, but always be prepared to get out. Start preparing to get out right when you start. It's It's very important because, trust me, there's no worse feeling than whenever... You're getting to that point of getting out and you're so fucking terrified and you're thinking, what, what am I doing? I, I want to get out, but I, I can't. And all of a sudden, now you're going from a sense of pride in service and a sense of wanting to serve your country to trapped. And that's where shitty, shitty fucking people in the military come from because they feel trapped. And that's not what you want to be, okay? I was that way for a little while because the first time I was trying to get out, I was not prepared. I had nothing ready. So... When it came down to it, you know, I, I got out at the right time, like Jess said, with everything I needed, and I was able to land, you know, pretty decently. But you guys have to make sure that you're always ready to get out. Um, you may not want to. Like I said, sometimes, you know, the Air Force or the military as a whole, it doesn't matter what branch, the, they just might decide differently one day, okay? But you have to be ready to get out. Do not wait until you're like, oh, I'm three years from retirement. Now I'm going to start getting ready to get out. No. You need to be ready to get out at any given time. So that's our little soapbox getting onto that point. You know, granted, um, Jess got out and she was like, eh, never mind. Um, and then I got out. I'm done. I, I ensured that I'm not going back, but I'm getting every tattoo everywhere that I shouldn't because I'm not going back. Um, not that I wouldn't if they, you know, really needed me because, you know, shit hit the fan, but. Uh, I'm just not going back uh, because I feel like I need to. I'm done. And I'm proud of what I did. I'm proud of my time. And I'm I'm happy, very happy where I am now. So any last uh, thoughts, tips, Jess? There's one tip I can tell anyone. Don't get married and let your spouse use your credit card. Because then you're going to be in the position that I am and trying to rebuild your savings because you had to pay off so much debt. So know who you're dating. Um, know who you're getting involved with because that plays a factor in your career. They can also fuck your career over. So know who you're with while you're in the military and figure out if you still want to be with that person outside of the military. 
I'm looking at you, kids who get married in tech school. Sometimes it lasts, 99% of the time it doesn't. So just know that. But other than that, um, exactly what Rusty said, just be prepared and you guys will be fine. We're going to do a divorcing in the military episode, guys. And it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be so great. I'm excited. Yeah. But um, all right. Uh, we're, I feel like we covered the most important things. Give you guys a little number, some numbers to really, you know, understand what can come, you know, versus just us talking. Uh, but thank you guys for tuning in. Um, we got some really, really great episodes coming up and we got some stuff we know you're going to hear. So always stay tuned and uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, go listen to us on either iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently it is. So go on to social media, search TCW Podcast 23. Okay, that's TCW Podcast 23 on Facebook and Instagram. Give us a follow. If you have any requests or you have any uh, desire to come onto the show, shoot us a DM. Let us know. Tell us a little bit about you and uh, we'll we will respond and um if we like what we hear we like maybe what you're offering then yeah we would absolutely bring you on we love meeting new people we love hearing different things doesn't matter which branch you're in uh, or you know maybe you're a military brat uh, or military family i'd even entertain that you know because it is a different perspective but obviously we're looking for people who are just the average joes in the military so thank you guys for tuning in uh can't wait to get to you next but uh We are out of here. Bye, guys.